Mark, 20, Mark 7, 24 through chapter 8, verse 10. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile and a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ear. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with the bread here in this desolate place? And he answered, asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and have Having blessed them, he said, These also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmenufa. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you. Nathan and Aaron, yeah, we really appreciate that. They, uh, they went above and beyond holding little Colton there. He was helpful. Um, let me say again, um, we, we, we say this a lot. We take Jesus seriously, but not ourselves. And really with that, this is a community. Even as we grow, we do have a children's ministry. As I said, Annie um, oversees that and runs that. And we, we do a lot there. Actually, the kids hear um, the same kind of thing that we're hearing in here. Um, and, and then they, they get something to take home and to go through with their, with their parents. It's a great place. But also, um, we're happy if you bring your kids in here, if you want to have them in here even from infancy on, that's great. Um, so we, if you're a, a nursing mom, if you, if you fit, are afraid that your kid's going to make noise or anything like that, we're not concerned about that. I have four kids myself. Um, I can handle some noise. So we're, we're all right with that. I just want to say that again, um, especially in light of this day. And um, with that, let me just say I'm really glad to be here. I, was, um, I wasn't preaching two weeks ago. Thankfully, Jared um, did that, did a great job and preached for us. And then last week, we had a guy from Redemption Tempe come down and preach. And I was in Northern California. 
California. It was great, even though it was cool in the morning and in the evening, and I went for a walk and it was even chilly. Um, it's just good to be here. I, this is home. You guys are home. I, I honestly do. I love, um, I love being here with you all, and especially on a day like this, it's just good to be together. I know that Father's Day, as Alex said, for many of us is both hard and celebratory. And um, some of you know our story. We walked through infertility for a long time and had a lot of hardship, especially on these days. And and then um, there's a lot of brokenness in terms of dads and fathers in my own family. And yet at the same time, there's there's rejoicing and a lot of people that God's provided. And um, so again, this is both. And we come and we do that together. And as we get into God's Word, we're going to be in Mark. Let me ask you, if you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and hold your hand up high, and somebody will get you one. We have a lot to cover, as you can see. We're going through a huge chunk of Scripture. Um, so hold your hand up high. If you prefer the Bible in Spanish, too, in Espanol, si necesitas, um, en Espanol, tenemos. So I say that every week. That's as far as I can go. I've, like, memorized that one phrase. But if you need the Bible in Spanish, if you prefer that, um, please, we have those as well, so just ask. And um, so go ahead and meet me over there, meet me in Mark. And, and before we do, as we turn over there, um, let, let's just kind of recap where we've been. We're asking one question. The author, Mark, presents us from the very beginning with one question. Who's Jesus? Who is Jesus? And then we're challenged with the question to respond, what do you do with him? How do you respond to him? So who is Jesus and how do you respond to him? That's the question throughout, right? We've been in this for over um, like four months now, just walking through Mark. And every time we're faced with that question. And that's always the question, okay? Who is Jesus and how do you respond to him? We never get away from that. That's always going to be the question. And as we've had, as we've walked through this kind of celebratory and difficult reality today, not only Father's Day, but in light of all that's gone on in, in, in the world around us, and specifically terrible tragedy within a church, a, a historic black church, just the significance there. Um, that church has been around for over 100 years. We've been around for less than one year. So just the significance of standing together and of reading that confession of lamentation together, all the more we're faced with this question, who is Jesus and what does he have to do with this? What does he have to do with Father's Day? What does he have to do with times of tragedy and difficulty? What does he have to do with times of celebration? And, and, and so as we enter into that, let me remind us that last week, um, Jesus basically continued to blow up categories, right? These little religious categories that even unknowingly sometimes we fall into them and we kind of create these religious categories of clean and unclean and, 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 and what it means to be a good person and a bad person and all these things. And Jesus just blew that up. And he, and he revealed that the natural state of the human condition is, is unclean and that the systems and structures that we create to make ourselves clean, he just exposes that. And so today, what we'll see is Jesus goes on an unlikely journey in three different stories that we'll see, three different interactions of Jesus, and we see that he again continues to reveal his unlikely goodness. In some kind of un, unexpected circumstances, we see that Jesus provides for the desperate, 
And then we see that Jesus heals the broken. And then Jesus satisfies the needy. And again, it's in unlikely ways in every way. So that's what we'll see. Um, again, meet me over in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. That's on page 547 in the, in the, in the soft, uh, soft cover Bibles that we handed out. Um, as you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Okay? And then we'll get, get into it. Again, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time to be together. Lord, thank you for church. Thank you for the church family that um, we, we openly say always that church is not Sunday morning in a nice little sliver of time between breakfast and lunch. Lord, it's, it's your people living all of life in light of who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. And yet, even as we'll see here today, it's important that we gather together, that we confess together, that we sing together, that we come under the gospel, the good news, and that we be reminded that all of life is defined by who you are and what you're doing. So even now as we pray, I, I ask Holy Spirit that you would engage us, that we would, would hear from you. I don't know where everyone is coming from today, but Lord, you do. So I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will lead them under the authority of your word. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, let's uh, pick right up with me in verse 24 of chapter 7. And from there he, that's Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So um, what that is, let's just kind of point out where we're at here real quick, is um, the, again, the, the first audience of this, the first people that would hear this would be reading Mark, wouldn't just skip on through like I just did. Like, oh yeah, and then um, he went to Tyre. Tyre was like their enemies. The Jewish people, the primary audience of Mark's gospel account, um, they would hear Tyre and think ASU. Right? Right? They would think like, no, he didn't go there. Surely not. Like, that's not, like they hated the people of Tyre. And you know, honestly, I, I, I joke about ASU, but all the more significantly, you know where these regions are. It's modern day Lebanon and Syria. The, the primary location of ISIS right now. ISIS is like main kind of stronghold. This is the same area where Jesus went. And like today, people that would be hating this would think like, no way. Nothing good can happen there. There's no way that God cares about what's going on there. Cares about the people there. There are enemies. And yet Jesus goes away. He goes to this, 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 this Gentile territory. Gentile means not Jewish. And Jesus was the, the, the promised Messiah, which the Jewish people were expecting. And so as Jesus declared himself, God the Son, the King, is here bringing his kingdom. And then he goes to this kind of a place. He goes to Tyre and Sidon. But he didn't go there to preach. If you see, pick up with me in verse 3. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he could not be hidden. So he went there to rest. Okay, he's been, a lot of stuff's been happening. He's been healing people. He's been doing all kinds of miracles. He's been all kinds of things. And, and the crowds were gathering and were trying to hinder him. In some cases, the crowds tried to kill him. In some cases, the crowds tried to make him fit into a mold that he didn't want to be fit into. Like they had an idea of how the king should act and they tried to, could kind of force him into that. So he just, he's like, I just need some rest. So he goes away, but still his fame had gone before him and he gets away. And then this 
this woman barges in, says uh, a Syrophoenician woman, a, a Gentile by, by birth, and she begged him um, because she had a daughter who was demon-possessed. And so she comes barging in. And let me just say who this woman is. And again, we were like, okay, Syrophoenician woman, that's hard to say, but whatever. And she was Gentile. And Well, okay, this woman um, had no business going up to Jesus. Okay, she's, she's a Gentile, so she's unclean. In fact, many Jewish rulers wouldn't even interact, wouldn't shake hands. You know, if like, I don't know if you've ever had that. You like walk up like, hey man, what's up? And then someone's like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not about to shake your hand. Like, okay, that would happen. Like if you're Gentile, a, a Jewish person wouldn't even interact with you. And then in this case, she's not only that, she's a woman. That was unheard of. That a woman would approach a, a religious authority who was who was a man. That just didn't happen. And also, she's ceremonially unclean because she has a daughter who's, who's demon-possessed. And so she has no business. Okay, she, her resume that she brings to Jesus, hear me on this. The only thing she brings is her desperate need. Okay, there's, her, her resume has all kinds of broken things about it. But she comes to Jesus begging, pleading with her desperate need. And then how does Jesus, how does Jesus respond to her? Well, he, he says, I'll pick up with me in verse, in verse uh, 20, 26. Okay, so she came to him, she begged him, and then in verse 27, what does Jesus say to her? Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh, no, he didn't. He just called this woman a dog. Right? We read that. I don't know if you're confused. You're like, how in the world? Well, by her response, she's not overly offended, right? Like, we, in our day, if someone came and said that, and you're like, I'm going to appear to feed the children, not the dogs, you'd be like, oh, it's on. You know, taking off the jewelry, the earrings are coming off, you're ready to throw down. Well, this woman doesn't do that because, um, again, it's important that we know that the word for dog that Jesus uses here is not the same as was commonly used for Gentiles. Like, even in the Old Testament, if you remember, if you've ever seen Veggie Tales or anything like that, when, when King David, not yet king, goes on and fights, you know, the giant cucumber or whatever he is, the pickle, right? David fights Goliath, and he says, this Gentile dog is defaming the name of God. You know, how can you stand by and let that happen? And goes, well, that, that word for dog is like a scoundrel, like a mongrel, like a dirty coyote-type dog, right? That you're like, keep that thing away. This dog is like a puppy, like a house pet, okay? It's not a dog that you're like, get this dog. It's like, no, it's a dog that's a part of the family. Our dog's name is Sherman. He's a little silly-looking dog. We just found out he's, he's part of dingo, actually. So he has huge ears. He's little, and he jumps. I'm trying to teach him how to do flips, actually. Um, but... uh. He, you know, Sherman, like, I wouldn't, like, throw him out and be like, you're a mongrel. But at the same time, um, he's a, a part of the family. But the message that Jesus is giving here is that, is that his, his, his promise of his coming has been given originally to the Jewish people. Okay? They were expecting the food to be delivered to the table. And so they were anticipating their role was to get the good news of, of who God is and what it meant to be his people, and that he would bring that to the children. And so, and so, and so the Jewish people who would originally read Mark, who were probably thinking, have we been replaced? 
Does God even care about us? Does God, does God hate us now? Or we, has he just kind of thrown us aside and now he has these new people? No, the message is no, no. Um, God, the good news has come to you. The food has come to you. But then this woman rightly understands what Jesus is saying. Okay, he's speaking in a parable. Okay, hear me on this. Has anyone so far understood a parable of Jesus? No. No one. Even his own followers, even his own disciples have heard these parables. They're like, wait, wait, what? Wait, dog, dog and kid. Wait, what are you saying about dogs? What? So we're supposed to go get the dogs? Like, who left the dogs out? Like, right? You, you, that no one ever gets parables. But this woman, this Gentile whose resume is completely, like, hopeless, she gets it. Right? She's sharp. She just dives right in. It's like, yeah, Jesus, but there's even enough food for the dogs, for the puppies to get enough food. And Jesus says, you're right. Okay, the main point here is not about, like, we might read that and be like, oh, the Gentiles and the Jews and who's the children and who's the dogs. And No, the main point that everyone who read this should understand is about the giver. It's about the provider. The children are there. They're getting the food. But there's such an abundance of provision from God and His goodness and His grace that, 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 that all, that, that, that the food keeps coming out, that the provision is poured out in such great um, magnitude that it spills over and pours over and that all who come, that all who are around are provided for. Okay, so, so the, 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 the natural state, the Syrophoenician Gentile woman rightly understands that the main point is not between children and puppies and Jews and Gentiles. The main point is that God is so generous that His provision, that Jesus has come to provide for the desperate. This woman has come desperately and God has so much in store that His goodness and His grace overflows so significantly that He provides for the desperate. And this woman's child is healed. He says, you're right. Because you get it, because of what you've said, go, your child has been healed. And so God's people would understand that Jesus has come and that he provides for the desperate. His character is being revealed. And then he goes on and he moves and he moves on and he goes to a place that we've seen before. Okay, so uh, pick up with me now as we see that Jesus um, heals the broken. He goes to another Gentile territory in verse 31. Pick up with me. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Do you remember what happened there? The last time Jesus came to this place, this, this Gentile place, he showed up and this demon-possessed man with like a legion of demons came charging at him, right? Naked, foaming at the mouth, charging at Jesus and fell down at his feet, and Jesus cast out this demon, and then when that happened, the people, the townspeople, were so freaked out, they're like, Jesus, get out of here. Because remember, Jesus cast the demon out of the man, and he put the demons into these pigs, and the pigs ran into the ocean and drowned, and these people are like freaking out, and they're like, Jesus, get away from us. And that, that man, that the demon-possessed man, wanted to go with Jesus. He's like, let me come with you. You've done so much for me. You've healed me. You've, you've healed me. You've freed me. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Stay here and tell your family. Tell everyone what the Son of God has done for you. And the man stays. And as we see here, 
He's been doing what Jesus told him to do. The message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus has been going forward. He's told people because now, this time, the people are, are glad that he's there. Right? They're not like, Jesus, I thought we told you to leave. No, they go again to him. They're like, hey, we, we want to bring somebody to you. We want to we wanna bring this man who's, um, who's, been, who's, been, um, who's been deaf and he can't speak. He has a speech impediment. And though the scripture doesn't really tell us, he's probably really good looking and really um, strong and confident and just a great, you know, tall. Um, no, I was tempted. I was tempted to go there and make this all about speech impediments, but God wouldn't let me. Once again, that's not the point. Isn't this man, but it's, 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 it's Jesus and what he's doing. He, he shows up and these people are finally like, okay, Jesus, can you do something for us? And he goes with this guy. And, and, and they bring this guy, right? And they, and they present him to Jesus. And for some reason, Jesus doesn't, again, he's just unpredictable. He's unpredictably traveling around Gentile territories. He goes back to this place where the last time he encounters some, some demon-possessed, naked, crazy guy, and everyone's like, get out of here. And so he leaves. That's all he did there. He left. Well, now he comes back through looking for rest. And this guy comes. And what does Jesus do? In the past, he's just healed, you know, right there in front of everyone. But then other times, we see him doing, doing different things as he interacts with people. This time, he takes the guy aside. And he, and he puts his fingers in his ears. And then he spits on his hand and he touches the guy's tongue. Okay, now we might be like, what in that? That is crazy. That's disgusting. I would not let that happen. What, what's, why would Jesus do that? Well, first, when, when um, healers in that day, when someone would go and heal, they would do all kinds of crazy stuff. They would use like ointments and different things, sometimes like animal poisons, insect poisons and things. Sometimes it would hurt people. It would really do long-term damage when they would try to heal people of these, of these, of these ailments and these, and these things they've experienced and these broken people that need help, often just their, their, their healing efforts would be even worse. But Jesus, again, shows his intimate presence. Remember that the original audience of this would be people in Rome persecuted, right? It would be um, Emperor Nero is just bringing all kinds of, all kinds of hurt and pain on, on God's people there, and they're asking that question, just like we are. Who is Jesus, and what does he have to do with what I'm going through right now? And very subtly in this, in this exchange, we see that Jesus is present. He's intimate. He cares. He, he puts his fingers in this guy's ears. He touches his tongue. And then he calls out and he says, um, the word here, it just says that, that, that the man was able to speak or that his tongue was lo- loosened. But the, the original word actually means um, the chains were broken. And Jesus heals this man. This man is physically broken. And Jesus shows that he's healing him. And again, we, we have to understand what's going on here because we could so quickly miss the significance here. That there's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35 that every Jewish person would know. Okay, They would know that God prophesied and promised that though they would be in slavery, though they would be in bondage, though they would have chains wrapped around them and they would be experiencing tragedy and and difficulty in life God said one day one day chains will be broken 
The deaf will be able to hear. The mute will be able to speak, not just speak, but shout for joy. And that's the word used here of this man being able to speak. He's now able to shout for joy, to rejoice. The message is that Jesus heals the broken. If you remember, the last time he was in this place, there was a man demon-possessed. And what did he do? He broke the chains physically, but was still in bondage to demon oppression and demon possession. And the people, the townspeople, were in bondage to this way of life and his own family. And there was this message of the Roman dominance, of the Roman persecution on this town. The Decapolis was a place where Rome flexed its muscle to the region and showed just how great and powerful they are. And Jesus, like the strong man hero that he is, just shows, no, 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 Rome's not in charge. The, the, the legion of Rome, the legion of demons, those things don't have power. And here he shows that bondage, the bondage of, of oppression, the bondage of brokenness doesn't rule. So, just, so Jesus shows that message he, that the prophecy to the Jewish people, the prophecy to God's people throughout is being fulfilled, but in a really unlikely way, right? In a Gentile community. In the Decapolis, God is revealing that Jesus heals the broken. Again, the categories that the religious people had put God in, had put Jesus in, are being exposed and blown up. So we see that Jesus provides for the desperate, he heals the broken, and then in one last story he goes on and we see that Jesus satisfies the needy. So what happens here, um, I won't read the whole story for you, but you pick up in, in chapter 8. Those of you who have been here know what to do, right? We're entering into a new chapter. Turn to your neighbor. Welcome to chapter 8. We're doing it. We're going along. We're moving along. We've been in this for about four months. We have a few months to go. We'll be picking up um, ending Mark right before Christmas time. So uh, I know it's 100 plus degrees right now. That seems like a long way away. We have a lot to learn, and so we, we move on. Chapter 8, welcome to chapter 8. So in chapter 8, what happens here in the beginning? In those days, when again a great crowd gathered, the people are hungry. And so some scholars, and some of us even right here, might be like, oh yeah, Jesus feeds thousands of people. We've heard, the, been there, done that, right? We, we already know this story. He's already done that just a couple chapters ago, right? Jesus fed 5,000 people. Like, we've already been there. Well, this is different. This story, this did actually happen, okay? This isn't like the author just forgot, and then, you know, like an old, like a parent, you know, will sometimes do, you know, tell you the story they just told you. That's not what's happening here, okay? This, I'm, I'm, all, I'm that parent now, by the way. My kid's like, yeah, I know, we already heard. When your kids start to finish your sentence for you, not just because you stutter, but also because you forgot, it's, that gets old. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. He, um, and that's not what the author is doing here. This story happened, and there are some subtle differences. One is this. Remember last time when they fed the 5,000? Well, firstly, that was a predominantly Jewish um, group. That was a predominantly Jewish crowd. And that time, what happened? The disciples came and said, Ah, oh, Jesus, these people are hungry. You should feed them, or we should do something for them. And he's like, then give them food, right? Jesus exposes their lack of faith, and they're like, oh, we don't have enough money, and Jesus heals them, and then this time, Jesus initiates. 
to a predominantly Gentile crowd, can the compassion of God, the love of God, so far we've seen the power of Jesus the King displayed in so many ways, and here we see so pointedly His compassion. What does it say? It says in verse 2, Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now. Again, that's so important. They've been with Jesus now for three days and they have had nothing to eat. And, and he says, if I send them away, if I send them to go home, they'll, they'll likely faint or be tired. And Jesus has compassion on this predominantly Gentile crowd. That would be offensive to this original audience. Again, in light of all that's going on in the world around us and just what's happened this week, as we talked about, we saw that message of the people forgiving those who had just, the man who had just killed their family. They said, I forgive you. The good news of Jesus is that it doesn't fit into the little categories that we have. Jesus has compassion on all the crowds, on all the people, on even those from Tyre, on even on those who told him to go away in the Decapolis, and now even in this Gentile place and these Gentile crowds, he has compassion on all who are needy. And let's just point out too, isn't it a little weird that the disciples come so confused once again? <laughs> like, we might want to be like, time out, right? Like, he already did this. There were 5,000 people last time. Jesus has already done that. But let this be a warning, as it would have been to the first audience of this letter. It's a warning to you and me. How quickly do we forget? Elsewhere in Scripture, it says, you look in the mirror and you see your image and then you walk away and you forget what you look like. We can be like that. Guys, let me say, that's why we gather together. That's why God has called His people, the church, to gather together. Throughout the centuries, the people have gathered together weekly. As we say, this isn't the whole deal. This isn't church. Sunday, we don't just come here to check off a list. We have communities throughout the week. We gather in discipleship, in mentorship. We gather together. We have all these of events, as you saw, throughout the summer. Not just because that's what churches do and you're just supposed to do what Christians do. No, we are prone, as one song says, prone to wander. We're prone to forget. Our natural disposition is to see Jesus feed 5,000 and then wake up tomorrow in the middle of a tragedy and be like, ah, oh, now what? What are you going to do? Right? We forget we need each other. We need to be reminded that all of life is all for Jesus. We need to be reminded that Jesus provides for the desperate, that Jesus heals the broken, and here that Jesus feeds the needy. And then here, lastly, what we see, we, we have to understand this, is that um, there's an overwhelming um, opposition facing these people. Thousands of hungry people, like you and me today in our, in our world, like you and me today in Tucson, like you and me today in our families, in our church. I don't know about you, but if I can be honest, sometimes it's, it's hard not to be depressed, not to just feel like hopeless. Right? I, I, I'll just be real. I had a conversation on Friday with another couple who said, yeah, we're going to get a divorce. The guy kind of opened up to me at my kid's school. We're having a great conversation. He's like, yeah, we're going to leave. I'm going to leave. And he just said, he's like, yeah, I guess I'm going to leave my, my, my family. I never really thought I would be saying that. But 
Again, like we said before, he just kind of was like, you know, say la vie. You know, that's life. You got to do what you got to do. Right? That, like you, we have no, we don't know how to respond to these things. We get so inoculated. We just accept the brokenness and the desperation and the neediness in the world around us that we have nothing else to say than, ah, that's just the way it is. But we look to Jesus because that's not the way it's supposed to be. So when we stand here, when we say all of life is all for Jesus, when we say we exist for Jesus' glory and the good of Tucson, and then we meet in a school where there are a lot of people who come and experience something other than good, we live in a city, we read articles in the news, we hear things, we hear in our own families, things are not good. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And our only hope is to look to Jesus and say, yeah, Jesus, we trust that you are doing something good. We trust that you indeed are providing for the desperate. We trust that you indeed are healing this brokenness, relationally, physically, emotionally, culturally, systemically, universally. And we trust that Jesus is satisfying the needy. The word here used is a, is a Greek word that they would understand that, that through this meal that Jesus is providing, through this meal alone, the people are satisfied. On a gut level, he has provided. And this would be a message. Um, uh, one man, James Edwards, says that the church has rightly interpreted this to be a foreshadowing of the Eucharistic meal. As we prepare right now to respond, to come before the table, the Lord's table, which we do every week, this story right here, we saw that Jesus provided for the Jewish people through a meal. And then here, even for the Gentile people, the people who these people thought, no, they're outside of God's reach. No, Jesus provides. That Jesus unifies all people together. How are we unified in our good standing, in our ethnicity, in our, in our, in our perfect, pretty resumes? No. We're unified in our desperation, like the Syrophoenician woman. We're unified in our brokenness, like the deaf and mute. Man, we're unified in our hunger, in our, in our need, like the Gentile crowd as well as the Jewish crowd. And the only solution to our need is the meal that we look to every week. Where, where Jesus, when he met with his followers, he took bread and he broke it, just like he does here. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes a cup and he pours it out. And he says, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out to cover your sins. Through this meal, you are satisfied. Through this meal, the wrath of God is satisfied. Though you and I are enemies of God, God demonstrates his love. That In that state, Christ died for us. So that the wrath of God, the judgment of God that we deserve because of our sin, because of our desperation and our brokenness and our neediness, because we all, like sheep, have gone astray and turned from God. His wrath is what we deserve, but that wrath has been satisfied. Just like the people here are satisfied. And you and I, through this alone, are satisfied. Though we're hurting, though we're desperate, though we look at the news, though we say, we have no hope if not for Jesus. We can join with God's people throughout the ages and say, Maranatha, Come, Lord Jesus, come.
so now as we come before the tables, we're coming before Jesus. We're recognizing that He alone is the meal through which life comes. Through Him alone, we understand. And let me just remind you, as, as we do every week, we don't take this lightly. We do it every week, not because it's just something we do, but we do it every week because we know that this defines our lives. But let me say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I encourage you, don't come to this table. This is not for you. This is to come and say, I identify with the life death, and resurrection of Jesus. This alone defines my life. It's not a badge of honor. It's not a, don't be shamed if you don't come, but use this time to consider, Lord Jesus, what would it look like for you to define my life? If you've never placed your faith in him, consider during the time when, when those of us who have trusted him are coming forward, consider, Lord, what would it look like to give my life to you? Call out to him in prayer. Think about where you are. Think about whether or not his wrath and your need has been satisfied in Jesus. So as we come, we don't come lightly. So I'm going to pray now as we respond together as the church, as we've done throughout this service, responding together to our Lord, our King, Jesus, who provides for the desperate, heals the broken, and satisfies the needy. Let's pray. Again, Lord Jesus, um, we confess that we so easily forget. I confess. There have been so many times that um, when I'm in this seat right there and I'm going through the motions, I'm singing a song, I'm preparing to take communion, it's so easy to just, Lord, just treat it like it's old hat. But, but Lord, we, we come together. We come under your word, the gospel. We go through the service each week, the liturgy, what we do when we gather together to be reminded of our desperate need to, for you. Then to be reminded through your word of the good news of your provision. And then we respond in light of who you are and what you've done. So Lord, I pray for us together on this day, on Father's Day, on this day as we've dedicated children, on this day when we so appropriately recognize our desperate, broken need. We look to you, we respond to you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.